0: You need Indeed.
1: The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast, and welcome to our 2022-2023 season preview. I am coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona, but joining me from an undisclosed location in a separate continent (laughs) is Sam Cooper. Sam, how are you doing?
2: Hello, my friend. I am very excited to be here. I am very excited that we finally made it through, because it took us a while, the internal development episode and we are here to preview the season quickly as an aside people are probably noticing that my audio quality is not usually what it is um, yeah I don't know I think we pride ourselves on usually having good audio quality on this podcast uh, I hope that this is acceptable but uh, yeah we had to do a little bit tr- of troubleshooting so it's not going to be uh, exactly at 100% today hope that's all it's,
1: right it's 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 a modern miracle that we're even capable of doing what we're doing right now considering you and I Absolutely. are on separate ends of the globe <laughs> we are on a
2: very, sub- fairly substantial, not, there are Suns podcasts who have done more substantial time differences than what we are doing right now, I'll put it like yeah. that, but it is a somewhat substantial time difference for sure Yep.
1: Uh, we are almost done with preseason, there's two more preseason games coming up, uh, one Monday, which most, most of you are listening to this on Monday, and then another one to close out preseason And then we're not that far. Like we're going to have one more episode reacting you and I to the last two preseason games. And then the season starts. We're already there. It's kind of crazy how fast it has crept up on us. But that means that we're going to preview the season right now. And as we've done every year that we've done this podcast, we are going to talk about the biggest questions facing the Suns as we see it right now this season i like doing these episodes sam because i think it helps us to get in the right frame of mind because then we can sort of refer back to these questions as the season goes as new questions will pop up i'm sure but sort of frame our analysis we're, we're narrative building in a way <laughs> right now yeah for what the season's going to be
2: but you know what i mean i was going to say exactly the same thing and i also think there's there's a positive way to narrative build in a way, you know, it doesn't always have to be doom and gloom, but oftentimes it's important just to, yeah, just as you were saying, recontextualize and, and give ourselves the proper frame of mind for whatever this season may bring. You know, we closed on a previous chapter of Suns basketball and now we're opening a new one. And even though there hasn't been a ton of roster turnover, admittedly, and I, mm-hmm. I have a feeling we're going to cover that a little bit with some of these questions, um, but this is a new chapter of Suns basketball, and a lot of stuff can change in the next six or twelve months, as I'm sure we'll see.
1: And as we do with these episodes, I write down some questions I have. You write down some questions you have. We're gonna go back and forth. I give one, you give one. Back and forth. There's gonna be some overlap, I assume. Maybe we'll have, that, you yeah. know, maybe we'll have some that aren't directly um, exactly the same, but there will be some level of overlap. So I'll start. And then we'll go from there. It'll be
2: it'll be a little bit boring if we only have five because we overlap on everything. <laughs> so I hope I hope we came up with at least one or two that are original, but uh yeah, definitely there's gonna be overlap. Alright,
1: so since we already kind of touched on it, I think I'll start with this one. And this is the biggest question facing the Suns right now. What will the roster be after the trade deadline? And it's sort of a two parter. Will having a lame duck owner impact their ability to change it? And I want to preface this one by saying, right now, with the roster the Suns are right now entering the season with, in my opinion, they're a worse team than they were last year. And that's why I think that this question is the biggest question facing them. And let me make the case that they're a worse team right now. Uh, They're bringing back the majority of the same team, But without JaVale McGee, now, Jock Landale, of course, could be that guy. We don't know. But without JaVale McGee, who was a major contributor to the bench last season in a way that I didn't anticipate him being. And right now, without Jay Crowder. And we know that that's likely going to change sometime soon. Now, being the fact that Sam and I are going to have difficulties recording over the next few weeks, it'll probably be in a most inconvenient time for us to record. (laughs) (laughs) But... That is likely going to change as well. So right now, in my opinion, we're bringing back the same team without two of the more important players that played on the team last year. And that means I think I don't think the Suns intended to do that. Like They obviously had a situation where I think they were hoping that Kevin Durant would be on the roster. But being that that did not happen, they're in a position where they're essentially bringing back a worse roster than last year with the flexibility to make it better. And all while having essentially no owner until the team is sold. So it's a complex situation. What do you think about that question? And did you have something similar?
2: I think it's a great question. And I'm going to cross one off my list as well because I did have a similar question. I don't think it's exactly the same, but I said, I framed it as a, what external help is coming, yeah. which is basically the same question as what's going to happen at the trade deadline. Uh, because it could be now, it could be at the trade yeah, deadline. It might be both, and essentially. You know, there could be multiple It might changes, be both. Yeah. And essentially, the reason I bring it up for my part is, you know, to be a little less doom and gloom, I think, than you who started off saying they're a worse team, and not that I think you're wrong at all, but I think there is a universe that Suns fans are clinging to where this roster right now sees all four of of who I would call the um, the big four, like, young players, right, the young core, all get better, Devin Booker, Cam Johnson, DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges. And in addition to that, Chris Paul does not fall apart in the yeah. playoffs. If all five of those things happen at once, then, yeah, this is a championship team. I just think, as we know, it's a lot to ask all five of those things to happen in the same season. Um, and so now, you know, I, I also think Suns fans are kind of looking around at the bench right now and thinking, what the hell is this? You know, <laughs> Yeah. so knowing that Jay has a depleted value whether he's going to be gone within the next couple of days, the next couple of weeks, or whether it drags out till the trade deadline. We know he has depleted value. Hopefully you get something good back for him. But the question is, A, will that be enough to fix the bench? And B, even if it's enough to fix the bench, do we still need more? Do we still need to go out at the trade deadline and shop? Uh, we'll still have Dario Sharch, Landry Shamit, and picks. That right there is a hefty amount of salary. If you really want to chase after what you would call maybe a star player, you can still dangle Cam Johnson. Whether or not he receives a contract extension within the next week or so um, could potentially make that interesting, right? I think he should receive a contract extension. But if he doesn't, does that make him expendable in the eyes of the Suns front mm-hmm. office? Uh, Mikhail Bridges being another piece that they could throw out. you know, And I think you've talked about it before. Of course, even DeAndre Ayton. So, so much is up in the air for this team. But I think basically we've willed it down that unless absolutely everything possible breaks right for them they need to bring in more they they just need a little bit more
1: and I I just want to hit on that note again just to really clarify it I think that Devin Booker is 100% safe and will not be traded and I think Chris Paul is probably 100% safe and will not be traded as much as any player can be beyond that I'm not really sure. I, I would I, honestly, I would probably put Mikael Bridges as the next level of safe player um, on that on the roster, and then beyond that, I think everyone is potentially up for grabs. And I even think Mikael Bridges could be traded in the right trade, depending on what ends up being available for the Suns as the season rolls along. But to think that this team is going to be exactly the same, well, we know it's not because right now they're trying to trade someone very publicly in Jay Crowder. So we'll talk about the players that could be eligible, just to, re, just to hit it again. We know Jay Crowder is going to be traded. That's step one. Beyond that, you know, Dario Sharks has already lost minutes. We're already seeing him sort of third string in the rotation right now, maybe eligible to play power forward as Cameron Johnson is currently injured. Not a big storyline in the season as Cameron Johnson's injury right now, but right now it is. So Dario Sharks, $10 million that could be moved right now. Cameron Payne, I'm, I'd be surprised if I talked to any Suns fans that think his position is currently safe on the Suns. So there's just so many things that can be done. And if we go even further than that, the Suns own every single one of their future picks, first and seconds, right now. That means that they can trade picks as well to try and fix this team. And, and I think so much of what we see them do right now this season It could be dependent on their owner, right? That has impact on it. But say it's not. Say they have the freedom to do whatever they want. So much of what they do this season, I think, will reflect on their confidence that this team is capable of winning a championship this year. If they truly, truly believe that, maybe they just make some minor tweaks and some minor changes. If they don't believe it, maybe they try to swing for the fences and make a massive move. And if that doesn't work, maybe they're just okay not winning the championship this year and trying to kicking the can down the road to the offseason trying to make a massive move in the offseason
2: i think any year where you're not just entirely blown out by an injury right like if you know god forbid if something happened to chris paul or devin booker that was devastating you kick the can on a season whatever we've seen teams do that in the past it's unacceptable to do that you know in any other situation right if you're going for it, you know your window is what yep. it is. It's only a couple of years. Chris Paul is as old as he is. You got to go for it. What we can argue about are the kind of more intimate details of, okay, so what actually is enough? And we've already talked about this ad nauseum, but like, you know, I don't know if you saw Gambo's tweet the other day that the Sun's reported package offer for uh, Boyan Bogdanovich was, um, he said, Jay Crowder plus Landry Shamit. Uh, and then they wanted Vanderbilt as well, which, by the way, would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. But it's like, okay, clearly they're willing to put the flexible contracts out there. Is a Bogdanovich and draft capital, enough? I believe
1: Gambo mentioned. He didn't say first round yeah, pick. Yeah. He didn't say second round pick. He just said like some sort of vague version of draft capital.
2: That's No, that's a good point. That's a good point because maybe they could have lowballed on like multiple second round picks or something. The question is though, is a boy on Bogdanovich enough? Is a Harrison Barnes enough? Because then you can make a compelling argument of, okay, well, why pay for a Boyan Bogdanovich um, or an Eric Gordon or, like, I don't know, uh, these other names that we've mentioned before, right? If that's basically equivalent to kicking it down the road and you should save your assets unless you're really – unless someone's going to open up that's going to be more of a star than that at the deadline. I just – I'm not sure you can – my personal opinion, I don't think you can afford to wait like that anymore. But there's definitely – Um, a wing of the fan base I think who still feels that way and you know it's it's an opinion I
1: I have spent every offseason since we started covering the Suns talking about ways they can make dramatic changes to the roster but this is the year I think everyone's thinking about it not just me and I think this will be the year where it is going to be a persistent storyline for the team until the trade deadline regardless regardless of how they play to be honest even if they're really good I think it's going to be a persistent storyline because of the way the last two playoffs have ended.
2: After every loss, if you <laughs> log on to Twitter or Reddit or whatever social media app you use, you're going to see the trade machine posts. It's just going to happen. Boy,
1: was I wrong about Suns fans not caring about regular season wins or losses. They've already been panicking about <laughs> preseason wins and losses. Well, that was, that was the most predictable thing ever. But, but yeah. What do you got? Are we ready?
2: All right. So I'm crossing that one off my list. So we both have four okay. left. Um, so naturally, my first question, will Jock Landell win MVP? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I'm going to shift us over to DeAndre Ayton, natural place uh, yeah. to, to mm-hmm. go to. I assume you have a DeAndre Ayton I actually question. don't. Let's see I it's... actually don't. but you I, actually but don't. I, you
1: gave. I should have. Uh, I'll just say it that way.
2: You gave me the easy bait. And um, I'll try and frame this in a way that is, I don't know, not natural necessarily, but uh, that is um, empathetic and and kind of understanding of the situation as it is. I just asked, is DeAndre Ayton still motivated to be here long term? Uh, Which I think is a different thing than asking if DeAndre Ayton will have a, I don't know, a good season, um, or if he's motivated to to be here in the short term. Um, But does DeAndre Ayton still really believe in the vision of what's being built here um, and believe in the vision of a development program that can help him personally uh, to progress as a player and also to win a championship at the same time, because I think those are two different things. So, you know, I mean, granted, we've, we've had the DeAndre conversation before, uh, maybe in more words than we're about to have it again. But uh, yeah, I I (laughs) thought clearly when you think about what are the biggest questions for the Suns this season Again, DeAndre Ayton, he's going to come up again and again and again.
1: And rightfully so. I mean, you could make the case that he's at at least in the running to be the second best player on the team uh, this year, depending on how he plays and how Chris Paul plays and whatever else comes uh, about because of that. But I think it's an excellent question. And I like the way that you worded it because, well, first of all, if he's to be traded, he has to approve of it. So, you know, you have to start there. And for those who maybe we have new listeners joining us for the season preview, just to really outline the DeAndre Ayton situation, because he signed a contract that was matched, matched, that means that he has veto power on any trade this season and also for a full year cannot be traded to the Indiana Pacers, regardless of if he wants it or not. So that means he can he can basically motivate the Suns to trade him <laughs> if he if he wants to be moved he has control over it the Suns don't have to trade him of course but if the Suns want to he they need his approval uh, so just starting there there is some level of incentive to him being moved if he wants to be moved he can kind of have some level of choice in 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 uh, the team that he goes to uh, but beyond that I think that first of all I think that DeAndre is just going to be good on offense all year. I'm not super worried about his offensive play. I know we're coming off of a 3-for-12 game or whatever in preseason, but who cares? It's one game and it's a preseason game. But in order for him to be great defensively, in order for him to be great on rebounds, he kind of does have to be motivated. I do think that when you're talking about the relationship between him and coaching, like coaching staff or Monty Williams specifically, the stuff that they coach him on constantly, the stuff that they're kind of riding his ass on, is the defense, it's the rebound, it's the extra effort plays. It's the stuff that you know maybe does not really get the glory when it comes to uh, highlight reels or box score stats, but also is incredibly important for the Suns to continue winning. So motivation is important for him because it's gonna mean that he does the extra stuff in order to make the Suns win and maybe won't be as noticeable by people watching um, compared to maybe people like you and I, Sam.
2: Right. I mean, we've always highlighted sacrifice as kind of the thing that distinguishes DeAndre Ayton. You know, so many of the things that that make him the best require him to sacrifice something on the other end. He hasn't been featured in the Suns offense as, as much as we think he would like to and as much as many other people would like him to be featured. Um, but... Yeah, it's it's one thing for him to be, you know, chasing the bag, which he now got. And it's another thing to continue to be motivated afterwards uh, when we're not exactly sure if he believes that this is a championship team. I certainly hope he does. But, you know, it's just retaining that faith is a little bit difficult. And that's a, a huge part of the reason why Monty Williams's job this year, now that kind of the holes and the cracks are showing, is going to be so difficult. And I think... I'll hold my tongue now because I have a question on it later. Yeah, actually, yeah. but Monty Williams, it's gonna be it's gonna be a big year for him. I too, agree. I think, but Aiton is at the center. Uh, the center, and of it. I
1: think Ayton There has been a spotlight on DeAndre Aiton the entire time he's been on the Suns from Suns fans, but now the spotlight on DeAndre Aiton is gonna be from everyone. The way that his free agency went the amount of money he's making the fact that he sort of made his unhappiness known for whatever reason you want to blame it on in media day and the subsequent interview that came after that everyone is watching now it's not just sun's fans with that spotlight on deandre and so that means whatever he does you know positive or negative there's going to be more coverage of that than before, I think, going forward for him now, especially if he becomes a... The thing that moves the needles the most in NBA coverage is players wanting to trade teams, like change teams. That's that's what moves the needle the most in NBA coverage nowadays, and it's sort of an unfortunate thing that's happened in NBA media, but it is what it is, and I think there's a spotlight on DeAndre and as a guy who could potentially be changing teams at some point. And we don't know if that's going to be true or not. And it's going to be a fascinating season to watch him this year. You got anything else on that? No, I think we can move on. What
2: was your next question? Okay. Since we did not share that one.
1: Will the offense be enough to make up for the defense missing Jay Crowder? Are we already there? Are we already in panic mode on the defense? A little. I bit. wouldn't... Um, I mean I was there I was I'm there, not, I was there not, right I'm away. Just, but here's <laughs> I, I mean I really like Jay Crowder and I think he makes a big difference. But what I wanted this question to do is to to really highlight the shift in philosophy for the Suns I like that, that putting Cameron Johnson in the starting lineup is. Because the the what the Suns were, the identity of the Suns for the two years that we've seen the past two years has been this defensive identity you know with Jay Crowder DeAndre and, and Mikael Bridges being the three guys that sort of defined that for the Suns and then the offense built around Devin Booker Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton going forward they will not be that team defensively. This is not to say that they can't be a top 10 defense or whatever you want to say. Mikael Bridges and DeAndre, and they do a lot defensively. And I think Monty Williams does such a great job preparing this team to play defense against teams, particularly in the regular season. And even in the playoffs, I know there was some things that we can point at to say that that went awry, and I agree. But in general, I think you can point at the Suns as one of the most prepared teams defensively over the last two years in the regular season. So it's not to say that they're going to definitely be a bad team, but they are shifting their focus to be more about offense just by the nature of making Cameron Johnson the starter. And that offense is going to have to be really great if the defense starts slipping, which I think it will. I just don't think there's any really case to be made that it definitely won't. Because Cameron Johnson, a good player. Jay Crowder, a great defender. And somebody who makes a big difference in team defense because of the things that he does off the ball or on the ball. So I think there will be a loss of defensive, you know, the, the rating, the defensive rating will slip. And the offensive well, rating has to go up as a result.
2: I know you don't love being held to these uh, statistical predictions, but if I had to kind of gauge where you are right now, the Suns finished fourth in offensive rating last year. They finished third in defensive rating. If you had to take a guess, when you're talking about a shift, how big of a shift uh, are we talking? You think they could be first in offensive rating, but tenth in defense? Uh, is that kind of what yeah, you're talking about? Yeah. Or I think that's a, yeah, that's a good I, that's a
1: good change for it. Now, what I'll say is, uh, them being first in de- in offensive rating is even not necessarily. Uh, the ranking as much as the actual offensive rating has to go up being first in offensive rating is going to be hard this year because the nuggets you know assuming Jamal Murray remains healthy assuming Michael Porter Jr remains healthy are going to be just yeah. insane offensively they were already
2: uh, they were already 6th yeah. last year and that was without Murray or yeah. Porter and Jr. i think
1: you can say the clippers i know everyone's talking about the clippers and the warriors like these are teams that can still Get better offensively, and then there are other teams that can have really great offensive season. I think the Cavs can be there. I think the Hawks are actually a team that could be pretty amazing. I think the Hawks actually—they were yeah, second yeah, last they year. They were already up. You there. know what's really funny?
2: You know what's really mm-hmm. funny? The Jazz were first. Yeah, they just shot up a ton lest of threes. L- They're gone. Lest, yeah. we, lest we forget. Well, and I think that's—I think that says two things. First of all, lol. The Jazz will probably be, what, 28th <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this year in, in offensive rating. But more importantly, I think what it says is offensive rating only matters so much, and we know that. So it's not it's not necessarily about, oh, it would be so great to score 120 points per 100 possessions in the regular season. What we want to focus on is how good the Suns can make their best possible Can lineup. they make the net rating
1: that, the same, just with the ingredients that make it up different? You know what I mean? Well, and, and, and how is it
2: going to look— in clutch situations, which we know the Suns already dominated last year, and how is it going to look in important playoff situations and half-court situations. And I think any way you slice it, just taking the starters last year and replacing Jay Crowder with Cam Johnson, it's going to look better. But the question is how much better.
1: Yeah, exactly. And can they sort of maintain a high-level net rating for one of the best teams in the league while not having the great defense? I think you brought up clutch. I think that's a great point. Their clutch, we often point at the offense that they played in the clutch. And the offense was awesome, but the other thing they do was just lock down a team for three possessions in a row at the end of a game, and then score on those three possessions, and then the game was over. And their ability to lock down teams in the clutch, missing Jay Crowder, it's just tough. You know, it's going to be a difference maker in as far as wins and losses. And uh, and and I, now, having said all of that, the change that they've made to shift over to an offensive philosophy in the starting group is a direct result of the offense falling apart in the playoffs. It's a smart change. I do think the Suns and Suns fans have to have some level of patience with it as it develops throughout the season in order to see the best version of it in the playoffs assuming this roster stays relatively the same. But it is it is a change that on philosophy makes sense based on what we've seen in the playoffs. But there's a chance it won't it won't go as pretty as people think it will, and I think you're even seeing just not to, not to take too much from preseason, which is a yearly tradition. But I do think that you're seeing some of the cracks defensively, even in the preseason, where they're gonna it's gonna take time to gel and get better, and I think that Absolutely. that's something we're gonna have yeah. to see.
2: Yep, agreed on all counts. All
1: right, what is your um, next one? Unless
2: you have something else to add. Well, my, so my next question is half related to this last one. So I'm going to bring it up, but I don't know if it's... I think it leads us down a slightly different path, but has some similarities. And that's, can either McHale Bridges or Cam Johnson take an unexpected self-creation right, leap? Right. Um, and, you know, I say it's similar because it's still talking about Cam Johnson. It's still talking about the offense. It's just being a little bit more particular and specifically what we're noting. Uh, and I think what we're noting here is... From what I can tell, everyone's baseline expectations are that Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson will both get a little bit better this season. And I think that's kind of what we talked about um, and was our central point in our internal development series as well. However, if one of these guys can take an unexpected leap, like, I don't know, improving 15% mm-hmm. instead of 5%, yeah. or you know, kind of ascending to another level, not a superstar level, not even a star level, but just what I would call an unexpected leap uh, that would make up for the other guy potentially staying exactly the same. Uh, and I, you know, I think kind of all we're talking about with this team in terms of what they really need uh, is kind of that third option score. Uh, it's, we've brought up that quote from Monty Williams after the playoff loss a million times of how could he have trusted or hit or him saying, how could I have better trusted these guys to yeah. work in one-on-one scenarios um, and to create advantages, mismatches on offense and exploit those mismatches um, or just those advantages well, allowed them so that when things get difficult. Allowed them yeah, to make ahead.
1: mistakes was how he worded right. it, which I think is a very important part of how he spoke about it because it's not always going to look pretty. And I think, first of all, what's funny about that question that you just asked is I don't have it as a question. And I know that it's a huge question for this team. And I think it really points at how many questions this team has this season compared to uh, the last two seasons, I think. You know, there's just so many questions that can be asked about this team, which is a little scary if I'm being honest. Yeah. But I don't think, yep. The part that I find interesting about this question is I don't think there's an obvious choice if you had to pick one of those two guys as, as the most likely. And maybe, maybe that's well, a bad thing, yeah. right? <laughs> there's not somebody that really stands out.
2: From what I've seen in preseason, and you can disagree if you if you don't feel the same way, based on the sets where they're running, it kind of feels like Mikael Bridges is more that guy so far. I think to me, a he little has
1: bit. a. I, does he have better ball handling? Is that a fair thing to say? Than Cam. Johnson. My first, my first instinct like is, is to say that yeah, <laughs> that that maybe that that matters, and I think I actually think he's probably a better passer as well. Not to say that either of them are bad at it, uh, you know. So.
2: I think the the difficult thing about this question, if you have to really choose, like, which one, is Mikhail Bridges, outside of the shooting, is kind of just more talented at everything. But he doesn't have the mindset that Cam Johnson has. He just doesn't have the confidence. And, and we've talked about this for years. It's like Mikhail Bridges is—he just exudes talent. He oozes talent. And he's you know, just so he's, good at basketball. He's <laughs> and not just basketball. I have the impression when I watch Mikael Bridges, like he's that guy who's just good at everything. Yeah, right. Like I bet anything he picks up, he's fucking great at it almost immediately. But, you know, if he just would go out there and, and, and have the confidence to sometimes lead second units and take 15 shots a game, this would be a different discussion. Yeah. But we're four years into his career and we haven't really seen that. So. I don't know if we've arrived at a different point now where Monty can really trust him in a way he couldn't previously. We'll see. I also don't think we need to spend super long on this question because we've, you know, we've kind of talked about this before too, but it's just if one of those guys can take that leap, then all of a sudden, yeah, maybe all you need is a Bogdanovich and then go out and win the chip. You know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It could be that easy.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring...
1: I think that perfectly sets up my next question. Can the Suns bench be fixed? I mean, this is I think the biggest question from preseason so far. It's the issues with the Suns bench. I think there's two questions on this that I want to ask you about. One, is there a fix on the roster right now? Like what like is there is there question. a version is there a version of the Suns bench being fixed? that actually is just Landry Shammett playing really well or Cameron Payne playing really well. And then everything <laughs> is fine. You know, like I know, I know I do it's think it's an unlikely thing, but let me add to that before you go. Yes. Uh. Say the sun's traded for Bogdanovich right now. And Bogdanovich is on the team. No, Jay Crowder Bogdanovich comes off the bench. Is it just fixed? Like, did that fix everything with the bench? Is that all that's missing right now?
2: I don't think it's all that's missing because um, Bogdanovich I think uses his body well and shoots the hell out of the ball, but I don't think he creates quite the dribble penetration that an ideal Suns bench looks like to me. An ideal Suns bench, kind of the joke we've said all along is that Dario unlocks campaign. But if campaign could actually like to respond to the first part of the question, if Campaign could actually return to form, that kind of fixes everything. Regardless of how Dario plays or how anyone else, like Campaign at his best creates advantages in the offense that just ample drive and kick opportunities again and again and again and it was magic to see when he was playing at his best couple that with like 40 percent above the break three-point shooting or whatever he shot that that finals year and uh, I mean I would love to see a return to form for for campaign I kind of feel like that would fix everything Landry Shamit, you know would be great if he played better but I just I don't know what the ideal version of him does exactly for the Suns bench in terms of fixing everything bogdanovich would help a lot just to be clear i just i don't know
1: i um i think it would be first of all i'll answer my own questions i i think it would be kind of a miracle if the if the fix was on the roster right now you know unless dwayne washington is somehow what everyone on twitter appears to think he is (laughs) Dude, i'm really kind of
2: still uh riding the jock landale high from uh from I, both games one and two of preseason, he was pretty fucking good. Especially game. That two. was my one
1: prediction we'll for see. Dan, our friend Dan Sam. I, I told him you're gonna love Jock Landale. I just think you're. I just <laughs> think you're gonna love him. <laughs> Wait,
2: you, you as in Dan, or you as in me, or you as in everyone? I as
1: in Dan specifically, Dan, because I Dan, think there's Dan. a specific type of basketball watcher that's gonna love Jock Landale because what he's gonna do for the Suns is not gonna be incredibly obvious to everyone watching.
2: Is is that specific type of basketball watcher white? Is that,
1: is <laughs> no, that what you're no, saying? No, like fucking because, losers that watch very specific. No, I, like I who Like who who's going to go, man, the backup center on the Suns is actually really good. Like it has to be somebody who really watches the games. I guarantee you, know? you a lot of people
2: who listen to this yeah. pod are doing exactly A hundred
1: percent. It's but, nerds yeah. that like our friends, people that are friends with us um, are going to like him. But... Having said that I mean dude, he's he screens so well, but Yes, the screens are great. Like really, if you if you love screens, you're gonna like Jock Landale. Um To me, if you put Boyan on this bench right now and basically nothing else changes, I guess you have to get rid of someone. Uh I don't know, Craig, whatever. Just in a hypothetical world. <laughs> in a hypothetical world where Jay Crowder and Craig could have worked in a trade. It didn't. They say it did. I think it all I think it all kind of works at that point. I don't think it's that far from being pretty good. I guess is the point that I, that I want to make. I think that right now there is essentially a bunch of role players on the Suns bench and all of them are kind of good. But you put five role players on the floor, that's bad. They kind of need right. a north star offensively, if you will. 100%. And if you find a way to put that North Star onto that bench, now keep in mind that they're not going to play five bench players all the time. It will happen occasionally on the Suns. And even in the bad version of the Suns that we have now, foul trouble, there are reasons that that there will be scenarios where there's still five bench players on the floor. But if they had that one guy, I actually think, actually, it just makes sense. Like, you put Boyan on the bench, I'm like, okay, now you got Campaign, Landry Schammett, Boyan Bogdanovich, Jock Landale, and fill in the blank. I don't know. Dario Saric, Damian Lee, Okogi in some lineups, whoever you want to say, because Boyan can play both power forward and small forward. And I'm like, that's kind of, that's pretty good. <laughs> like, I actually don't really mind that as a bench. I just think right now, without that, you know, it all worked when Landry Shamit was that North Star offensively, for example. Like, all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, I can see it. And I just think they're not that far away from it working if they can find the right kind of trade and all of a sudden I think the entire ceiling of the Suns kind of goes up if they just add one more offensive piece that just makes everything make a little bit more sense so I'll say that I'm I after watching it a little bit and thinking about the bench I'm a little bit more optimistic if they can make the right kind of move it's just hard to really I like make i don't know that eric gordon is that for example i think boyan would have Same. been a little bit more of that
2: than clarkson i know you think clarkson is <laughs> not that
1: i'm a, i'm slightly more sold on clarkson than i was previously i still think that i still think that they're uh, that it's bad what
2: changed what changed
1: uh, i'm more i have more confident in the rest of the bench i guess in, in some ways making hmm. up for his uh, what what makes him bad um, but I'm still not there with Clarkson. For just to clarify, I'm still not there. Uh, but I do think that, like, I I understand more why the vision that James Jones saw with Boyan. And now, if you put Boyan and Vanderbilt, like, it would have been one of the better benches in the league. <laughs> that would <be> awesome. <laughs> at that point maybe the best bench in the league, outside of the Clippers, I guess. Um, but I will say that I'm just I'm just a little bit more confident if they can just find that right move. And I don't think it's going to be easy. Having said that, but like. As much as we think the bench is a negative right now, I think there's a scenario at the end of the season post-trade deadline where we're like, actually, the bench is, bench is like a positive for this team. It's a real asset. Um, and I don't think that that's that crazy now as I would have after the end of the first preseason game, as I've sort of thought it through. Is that crazy? Am I crazy? I,
2: I don't think it's crazy, but I don't think it's going in the direction that most other people feel
1: about the
2: bench right now. And um, yeah, I don't know, man, you mentioned his name a minute ago for the first time all podcast, and it almost reminded me like I should have prepared a sixth question, which is just, will I stop forgetting that Tory Craig is <laughs> because, because his game has become so forgettable? Unfortunately, yeah. um, I forgot he was on the roster like probably a dozen times this summer. It was crazy. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, he's, I, he probably think, won't be at the end of the season for the record.
2: I, to to close up this question, I mean, I don't consider the bench an asset right now. It's not, but yes, yeah. I, I could be I could be swayed depending
1: on the. It's right absolutely right. not an asset right now. I mean, the question is, can it be fixed? That means it's broken, right? And right now, I think it is broken. But I do think there are things like, like there are things that you can do if they get some level of a of a a, a makeup season from both campaign and Landry Schmidt that helps already. But you add one offensive player in there, plus those two guys having a comeback season, and all of a sudden it's a pretty good bench. And you know, Jock Landell, Dario Sharpe are both good players, I think, and that helps as well. So I guess I'm a little more confident than I was previously. What do you got?
2: Next question. I teased earlier that I was going to bring up his name, um, but it's two guys involved in this question. What does this season mean for Monty Williams? and james jones Mm. i almost said for monty williams and james jones's legacy but then i decided at the last minute that that would be a little you you don't want the legacy talk (laughs) i know i don't necessarily need the legacy talk right now before um we dive into this one i want to be clear this is not about scapegoating either of these guys off the bat Mm. but i think the reason we bring it up is because this is year four for this combo This has been a very particular combo in Phoenix Suns history at this point. They've racked up a lot of history together throughout the past three years. They've had probably the most successful three years of any GM-coach combo in Suns history. This is the start of year four, and it really feels like the first time that the pressure has never been higher for these two guys. And if things do go wrong, which we know they could... Who are going to be the first people who find themselves kind of struggling to keep everything together in terms of the locker room, in terms of obviously the encore product, but also, you know, who typically becomes the first scapegoat in difficult seasons like that? It would be the coach Mm -hmm. and the GM. And I think the other important thing here to talk about is defining exactly what is a bad season for the Suns this year, like if they lose in the first round. They make the playoffs, but they lose in the first round, which definitely feels, you know, it's not my ideal result, obviously, but it definitely feels like it could be conceivable. So much depends on the
1: opponent as far as whether or not that's a disappointment, right? That's the West. That this
2: if this team just is the sixth seed or the fifth seed and loses in the first round like a fifth or sixth seed technically is supposed to in most years is Monty Williams. In the hot seat. Well, can I, mean, I add it to that? It sounds crazy to say right now, but he's signed. And I'm and again. I'm not calling for Monty I, Williams's head. I'm just saying he's also signed through 2026. I want to explain a little bit
1: insane. why that's not a hot take. The Suns are going to have a new ownership group at the end of the season. It's not crazy for a new ownership group to want to bring in guys that's their that that are their guys, even with successful teams. I, I think you can't. I think for James Jones in particular, and look, so much will be dependent on context. Things are going to change between now and the ch- trade deadline. Things are going to change all over the place that we cannot predict. That's the most fun part about sports in a lot of ways. It's the unpredictable nature of it. But if he has the freedom to do what he wants, James Jones, and he does nothing, if we have another almost trade deadline like we have the last two years, I'm out. If and if I am so and if we if have another almost trade deadline, yeah, I think I'll be upset. I think fans will be upset. And then the Suns lose in the first round, like you're saying, and then a new ownership group takes hold. There is absolutely no guarantees.
2: Yeah. You're burnt toast.
1: Absolutely no you're guarantees. Burnt toast at because that look, point. <laughs> if fans are upset and you're a new ownership group and fans are upset, <laughs> you know. I there's, think, there's I think The just, players rarely take the entirety of the heat from ownership groups, right? Because the players matter the most. I mean, they really do. And uh, I'm not saying that's the right choice or that would be the right choice or whatever. I'm just saying that ownership... One of my main questions that I was going to end the podcast with was who will own the Suns?
2: That's my last question. I mean, it's so. just... <laughs> it
1: is a huge, huge, huge question. And we kind of have to wrap it up with this conversation because... The people that run the Suns ultimately is the owner, the general manager, and the coach. And all three of those people are a team. And one of those is definitely going to change at the end of the season. We just know that for sure. And now whether or not the other two do is probably going to be more dependent on what happens this season than would normally be fair. You know, it's less fair for them that it's going to be... Pretty dependent on what happens this season most likely you know there is a yeah. scenario where ownership group comes through and they're like i love james jones i love monty williams we're gonna keep them we're gonna invest money other places and we're gonna hope this team changes based on that but i don't think there's any at all guarantee that that's gonna be the case and i think they, and they're gonna they're gonna have a lot of pressure on them this season i think it's true ex- that, that's
2: exactly what it is just to be 1000 percent clear for the final time nobody is calling for anyone's head right now it's just this is a pressure that has never been felt before by either of those guys, and it's gauging how do you respond to that pressure. Uh, what does a consistently pissed off Monty Williams look like in press conferences or in huddles? Uh, what does a, a James Jones panic trade look like? The only version of James Jones we've ever seen is very restrained. I would say entirely on one end of the spectrum of, of restraint to, to panic. Yeah, you know he was confident, confident, confident yes. in the
1: team. And now I think there's a reason to say that Hey, maybe you shouldn't be. Like we saw what happened yeah. last season. Like now not the time gonna, to be overly confident in the team.
2: We could see some personality changes this year, and I think that would be interesting if we do. That's all.
1: Um. Uh, yes. Excellent. Excellent question. And I think the you know I think maybe we'll wrap around to it at the end though. But the question about who will own the Suns is wrapped up right within that. Um, do you have another I, one? Before I that? do. I have two more. Okay. Um, oh wow! Yeah. Are you done? Is that all? All of yours? Yeah, I only have
2: one more, and it's who who buys the Suns. Okay, perfect. So we'll end there.
1: Will or can Devin Booker be a top 10 player? And this is a huge, huge question. We're talking about the pressure on Monty Williams. We're talking about the pressure on James Jones. But listen, ESPN released their top 100 players this season. Devin Booker was number 10. And to say that he was a top 10 player the last two years, you're going to get a lot of pushback on that from Suns fans and others. But now he has the expectations from at the very least ESPN to be that level of a player. Now, it's all nebulous. Everyone has different opinions on what that is. But let's say for you and I, Sam, can we end the season saying that? I'm not saying he can I'm not saying he can't. But I am saying that the things that moves the needle most in the NBA when it comes to teams being great, absolutely great, is the best players on the team. And Devin Booker is the best player on the Suns right now. And all of the little role player issues or bench issues that we can talk about, all of that can be painted over by Devin Booker just being a top 10 player this season
2: you're right so i think i see where we diverged in terms of our thinking for these questions because you decided not to do the cam johnson mikhail bridges question i decided not to do a booker question and the reason i decided not to do the booker question is because as i was thinking about like yeah could booker be a top five top 10 player whatever part of me was like ashamed of myself in a way almost like how dare we (laughs) how how how, how how like if we're expecting improvement from DeAndre Ayton, from Mikael Bridges, from Cam Johnson, we have these other young players, how can we, and I made this point on Twitter the other day, how can we continue to expect more from a guy who at every level of basketball that he's ever played has overachieved? Devin Booker, a guy who was drafted 13th overall, who, you know, obviously overachieved in the NBA, 70 points in his second season or whatever, and then continue to overachieve with the Suns throughout the past few years, we understood that he was a bona fide superstar before much of the rest of the nationwide audience caught up to it. But we always knew, at the same time, we talked about it all during last week's Booker episode, that you're absolutely right. Booker has the capacity, if he just changes certain tendencies in his game, if he cuts out the mid-range like just a little bit and focuses on attacking the rim and grifting and becoming like, you know, an eight to 10 free throw per game guy, which at this point in his career, I think is unlikely. But theoretically, if he could do that and he could combine that production with the type of shooting we saw from him last year where he was at consistent career highs, three-point shooting, we could get 30 points. We could get eight rebounds, eight assists. Couple that with a 60-win Sun season and that's an MVP year. We could get it from Booker. We could. Yep, it's just, should we, you know, do we have the right to demand it?
1: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great point. And, and to be fair, it doesn't matter if we do or we don't. The pressure's on. I mean, people are already ganging up on him <laughs> as we speak and trying to discount what he is and what he can be. And that's going to happen regardless of, of the expectations of Suns fans. And look... He's incredibly consistent in his statistics for the last few seasons. And if he remained that guy this year, he's still insanely good and the Suns can still have the best record in the NBA. There's a world where he just remains exactly the same as he was last year and the Suns are still great. But if he gets better, the Suns could be elite. And that's just the reality of the situation. Look, yes, the ideal is that he's Devin Booker still, And Aiton becomes elite or Mikael Bridges becomes elite and he has somebody to share in that burden with him. But but the truth is, it's just him right now. And he's the only guy that we can point at as holding that burden for the Suns because you can say Chris Paul, but we all know what the response is going to be to that. That old man? That, that's what people are gonna And that's unfair <laughs> like this is unfair to Chris Paul too. But like that is what it is. It is what it is. He's, I just watched the Redeem Team documentary. We had footage that was grainy. Chris Paul was in how it. How is that? By it's the great. Way. It's fantastic. It's really I think it almost undersold that team as far as how good they are. Um but Chris Paul is in it. And guess how many other players on that team are still in the NBA?
2: Let me guess. Wait, wait, let me guess. LeBron and Mello? Is
1: Mello's not in the NBA right now.
2: Oh, that's a great point. I would sign Mel. Yeah, I agree. I think, agree. I think that that he
1: that, can uh, be in the another. NBA. <laughs> but as of this moment, right now, as we're recording this, there are two players on that team on the uh, in the NBA, and those two players are defying odds. They're defying all odds to continue to not only be in the NBA, to be close to the best player on their team in Chris Paul and clearly the best player on their team in LeBron James. They are defying all this odds. Is Dwight not signed to a team? I don't believe so. And if he is not, he mm. might be this year, but he was on that team as well. Gotcha. Uh, and then outside of that, it's guys like Dwayne Wade, Kobe Bryant, and, you know, uh, Jason Kidd, Darren Williams. You know, those guys are all gone now. In fact, I mean, look at Jason Kidd right now. He looks like an old man. <laughs> it's just, they were all on the team together. Chris Paul was one of the young guys, as, as well as LeBron James. Um, but yeah it's it's Devin Booker's year this, look, we talked about it when we did his internal development episode if he's going to be in the MVP conversation, you know, he was last year it's this year, it's next year, that's the most likely, that's the most likely time for him to be in the MVP conversation it's not to say that he absolutely cannot in future years like, you know, Steve Nash style but if you had to bet on when that's going to happen, it would be last year, this year, and next year And those are the most likely times. So it'll be a a fascinating season to watch from him. If he improves, I'll be incredibly excited. If he continues to remain as consistent as he has been, that's still an excellent player and the Suns can still be really good. But he has yet to have this level of of expectations placed on him before a season begins in that he's called a top 10 player. Bleacher Report is about to release their lists. Uh, He may not be as high as ESPN, but he's going to be really high on that list too as far as their top 100 players. He's on the cover of NBA 2K23. We already know that. And all of that combined, along with an embarrassing loss last year, there's a lot of pressure on him. You know, it's not legacy talk, right? We're not going to get into legacy right now. But there is pressure on him to perform this season, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he plays. You got anything else on that?
2: No. Um, you have one more before. Uh, do you have one more? I pre- do.
1: And it's not really a question, you know. I'm listing the biggest questions for the Suns, I just wrote Chris Paul's health. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's. I mean,
2: unfortunately, a question. It every is a
1: question year. in <laughs> and of itself. Uh, will Chris Paul be healthy? It's sad, you know. It's actually, it's really sad that the conversation around Chris Paul has just become, you know, the things that have plagued him throughout his career, instead of how amazing he's been and how incredible. Uh, it is that he's even capable of playing at the level that he's playing right now at the age that he's at yeah his longevity
2: is as well i don't know if i would say directly partially as a result of lifestyle changes that he underwent specifically to ensure that he could last this long at the nba level uh shout out veganism but yeah it is yeah it's unfortunate it's
1: a storyline we have to talk about whether or not chris paul can remain healthy at the end of the year, and uh, and we're gonna have to watch that. And I don't, I don't think we have to spend a long time talking about this because I think everything we talked about up until now is partially related to that. Can DeAndre and improve? Can Mikael Bridges or uh, Cameron Johnson take a leap offensively? Will they make changes to impact this team and how they play in the postseason? All of that is related. If Chris Paul was twenty-six year old Chris Paul right now, the Suns would probably be a favorite, <laughs> but he's not. And that that means that everything you do around that is at least partially related to whether or not he can remain healthy as the season rolls along. Will he rest? Probably not. Do we want him to? Yeah, we do. It'd be nice if he had some sort of maintenance plan to be healthy, and we'll see if that ends up happening.
2: Yeah, just to be clear again, like we always talk about him breaking down in the playoffs. 70 games played two seasons ago and 65 games played last year in the regular season. That's pretty good, but like it doesn't even have to be something super detrimental, but like even a freak accident, like if Chris Paul breaks a hand and has to miss six weeks randomly in the regular season, is there one Suns fan out there who's confident with a campaign Dwayne Washington (laughs) point guard rotation, you know, like it's not just about who Chris Paul is as a player at this point because we know he's still good, good to great the backup rotation is also in such disarray that you really feel very uncomfortable about him missing any time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree with that. It's going to be... Uh, I mean, I
2: think the answer to that, just to answer my own question a bit, is we'd have to go full point book and just play more wings. But, uh, I mean, so it would almost be interesting for yeah, us. Yeah, in some would be ways it we, you're going to force that,
1: Mikhail Bridges to dribble more. You're going to force Cameron Johnson to dribble more. And, you know, Cameron Payne, as bad as he was last year... In, in the season, as much as people want to point that out, when Chris Paul was hurt and Cameron Payne started, he was pretty good. He worked well with yeah, the starters. I mean,
2: campaign Payne was mostly playable last yeah. year. It was kind of in the playoffs where, where I felt like every
1: new You literally was, uh, had to stop apart. playing him, yeah. <laughs> he stopped playing yeah. at the end of that Dallas series if people forgot. Uh, but yes, Chris Paul's health will be a storyline this year. Hopefully, there will be roster changes that make it a little less of a storyline as the season progresses. Um, but right now, it is what it is. Who will own the Suns? We both had this as a question. And you know, it's arguably the most it, important question. <laughs> exactly. It, it
2: it felt like you had to save it for Yes,
1: the it's it's definitely an end of the podcast question because you know, it has some level of impact on what happens this season. The Suns could be sold before the, you know, trade deadline actually comes. That is a possibility. It's unlikely, you know, there was a rep from the Suns that said six to nine months when speaking to employees of the teams as far as a timeline of when the team could be uh, sold but we're gonna know and the players are gonna know and it's gonna be a topic of conversation the NBA appears to have some level of vested interest on the team selling for as much money as possible in order to jack up the price of expansion teams so it's even bigger of a conversation Woj is out there doing some level of guerrilla marketing for the Suns. wouldn't call
2: it yeah wouldn't call it reporting. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah uh, trying to up the price as much as possible but it has the largest impact on the future of this team without a doubt this season i don't know maybe it does maybe it doesn't have some level of impact but when it comes to the important questions for this team it's the most important one and uh you know it's funny for you and I to... This is our fifth... I'll just say it right now to, to add some sentimentality to the podcast. This is our fifth season covering the team, which is really cool. And, you know, all of the... Uh, everything that's happened to us in that four seasons and now going into the f- fifth season has all been well past whatever expectations I had for this podcast. And I appreciate everyone that's listening. But now going into this season, you and I have to cover a new owner <laughs> like we have to cover some financial news when it comes to the Suns, and all of that is kind of unexpected and cool and i'm happy about it
2: Une- unexpected but something yes exactly something we are largely thankful for yeah and and definitely feel gratified it is yeah. weird though <laughs> you know? but you know also also understanding part of it is the new guy could suck or well, yeah the, the new person could also suck <laughs> and so <laughs> you never know it's gonna be an interesting it's gonna be an interesting conversation could be bezos Absolutely could be Bezos. That would be something.
1: They seem to like want it to be, right? Just because they know he has the most money, he can jack up the pride. The I most.
2: just feel like he wants the Seattle team. I feel like there's an inevitable Seattle team coming, and he's going to want that team. But what do I know?
1: It is funny that they're like, it's going to cost a lot because you can fly from L.A. to Phoenix so easily. And that might be true. <laughs> it's just, it just makes, it adds to that sort of little brother mentality of, that Phoenix kind of already has with Los Angeles.
2: Uh, in that, and not being able to stand on its own. Yeah. That's why I'm sure there are plenty of Suns fans that would love a, a low Arizona billionaire to step forward. Yeah. But I was going to say, I mean, other than Jom, and even for Jom, I mean, if Woj is out there saying it's going to cost $4 billion yeah, he <laughs> or do whatever, it. he's starting to price certain people out, yeah. though. It's becoming more difficult. By the way, what is flight time from Phoenix to LA? Is it like one it's hour? It's
1: that. If you honestly, if you're in a private jet, it's probably less than an hour. Uh, That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's not bad at all. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a prevalent storyline throughout the season. We're going to be talking about it, and you know, obviously, news comes in batches when it comes to ownership stuff. But I have a feeling it's going to basically go so and so and so and so and so and so are interested, and then all of a sudden it's just going to drop. You know. Robert Sarver has come to an agreement to sell the Suns to fill in the blank for a historic fill in the blank amount, and
2: it's going to happen when we're when we're least expecting it too. Like, I like to think the Suns will be in the middle. It'll be January. The yeah. Suns will be on like an 18 game winning streak, <laughs> and and then like a random Tuesday night in January. I don't know. It'll be 12 degrees wherever <laughs> I am, and we'll get we'll get the news. That's right. That's when we'll talk about it.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to finding out who that is. I hope it's uh, at least someone who has enough money to make the Suns a viable uh, product (laughs) as it goes. And I think based on how we understand what the cost is going to be, it seems like that's going to be the case. So Sam, we got coming up, I'm going to bring up the schedule on my phone, Sacramento Kings. We got the, the Nuggets on Monday. Most people listening to this Monday, October 10th. We got the Sacramento Kings on Wednesday, October 12th and that's it preseason's over and then we're coming back Wednesday it. October 19th a week from Wednesday the Phoenix Suns will face off against the Dallas Mavericks in Phoenix for game one of the season of course the NBA setting up a rematch against the team that the Suns and that's very soon and that's
2: it's fair mm -hmm. you know what it's it's fair of the nba to do i think because it is a good ratings push for them and the suns need to come out motivated that's all i'll say about
1: you play the Mavs four times in a season you just got to do it (laughs) you got to do it at some point so the season is coming up thank you everyone for listening to the podcast up to this point if you're a new listener welcome i'm very excited to cover the fifth season with you sam i think it's gonna be really fun i am as well all right thanks everyone for listening if you want to join our patreon patreon.com slash the timeline we'll be back or I, at least i will with a patreon episode this week